Hi, I'm Jason, the creator of The Grey Rooms. Here we go. Season 2 is under construction. We're pretty excited about this upcoming season. The main story by Brian is going to be something stellar. The new voice talent that we have doing that main episode is going to be that much more exciting and thrilling and surprising. It's great to see the advancements that we have made. We thank you for your support in our lull, and we're telling you, we hope you're ready. Season 2 is going to be a doozy. Lots of talented authors and actors and actresses, and lots of surprises again. But I always have to give a shout out to those who have supported us throughout this entire venture and kept this going. Our patrons. In alphabetical order, this preseason episode is brought to you by every single one of our patrons. Those patrons are Adam, Allison Brandt, Amy Nikolai, Arthur Unk, Austin Furman, Brad Bone, Brian Black, Brooks Bigley, Cassie Pertit, Kaylee Tolles, Debbie Furr, Denise Pinto, Elizabeth Dowell, Godzilla Eyes, Hale Scherf, Isabel Diedrichs, Jacqueline Coles, Jake Hauser, Jake Ivey, Jason Porras, Jeremy Schaefer, Jim Powell, J.M. Scherf, John, John Grills, Joseph Holliday, Justin Thulu, Kathleen Clyde, Kelly Bear, Lockstar, Lucas Hibbard, Maggie Rogers, Michael Beckwith, Patrick Mealy, Patrick Stewart, Rachel Lamb, Riel Bruyette, Newcomer to the neighborhood, Sarah Zartaloma, Sarah Ruth Thomas, Scott Savino, Scotty, Stephanie, Stephen, This Is All I Got Podcast, and Trig V. Christensen. Again, thank you ever so much for your support. It's going to be fun, and I hope you're ready. Here's a little taste of what season two might just be like. Enjoy the double feature. Next, on the Grey Rooms. The dream always starts the same way. The girls got a head start. We're walking, sometimes running through an endless corridor. I can hear every step she makes. I try to reach her. I can't. Samantha! Sam! Sam! Go away! Leave me alone! She's always running from something. From me. From someone else. Goes on like this for a while. 
complicated. It's like those dreams where you go to a job interview and your teeth crumble to dust. Sticks with you. She finds a door. The entire place is just a floor and walls. Everything's gray. No windows, no stairs, no doors. Except that one. And she always finds it. Samantha, wait! I'm trying to help you! The door slams shut. And of course I get stuck walking in the endless tunnel of gray until I get to wake up. It's a shitty nightmare. And I've had it every night since I took the job. I need to find Samantha Winters. It's 1.35 a.m. I'm exhausted. That dream I was talking about, I had it again. I try to think up clever ways to stop her, to get her to listen. It's like I always forget in the dream. And I do the exact same thing. Follow and call out to her. I should never have agreed to find her. The girl is Samantha Winters. She'd be 22 years old now. Art student. Talented, too, from what her teachers told me. Seemed sad. A bit of a loner. And apparently she found God and joined a cult. Her parents aren't too happy about this, and so they gave me a call. Name's Jake Stone, Private Eye. And you're probably wondering why I'm monologuing. I'm not. I'm simply running through events in my head like all the great detectives do. More complicated that way. Delphi, playback last recording. Mom, Dad, look, I... I just want to say goodbye. I know in your own way you're probably concerned. Or embarrassed. I know I'm not the daughter you want. Or are proud of. But I'm happy. I'm happy here. I found people like me. Caring, smart, creative people. And there's a cost to that. They want us to remove ourselves of the past. Be our better selves. 
And it sounds crazy saying that. I, I get it. But that's only because you're not part of our unity. We're all together here. And that's nice. It's really nice, actually. It's one big family. I wish... I wish that's what I'd had with you guys. I do. I don't think you ever cared about what I wanted. But I just thought you should know that I did love you and... Samantha, it's time. <sighs> so, yeah. I guess... Well, I, I guess this is goodbye, Mom. Dad. Maybe one day you'll join us and then we can be together again and you'll finally understand what I'm talking about. There's a plan for us. I... I believe that. I really, really do. This... I just... Uh, Samantha. I gotta go. I'm sorry. It's just... God is good. God is great. You know? Goodbye. Samantha Winters went missing after that. It's been two years. The Church of the One is spreading quick, like rabbits. Memory of her is beginning to fade like the stain of breath on a mirror, and I keep having these terrible dreams. But it's late, and I need to sleep. Once more into the corridor of gray. Once more. I'm in the hallway again. But Samantha isn't anywhere in sight. This time it's me facing the door. It's old and wooden. The number 377 had been shakily etched upon it. The numbers start to get blurry and I squint my eyes to make out letters behind them. Pen? I just rubbed my eyes and noticed that the letters returned to being numbers. I hate dreams. Well, I've got nothing better to do. Might as well open this door and see where this'll lead. Who knows? Maybe I'll find her. Maybe she'll tell me where she's been hiding the last couple of years. Or maybe I'll be back in high school sitting on the school bus and realizing I'm not wearing any pants. I really hate dreams.
there's this pen. A regular, plastic, dollar-a-dozen, mass-produced, unidentifiable, blue-ink, ballpoint pen. No matter what the world around it is doing, is becoming, is programming, this pen is still only a pen. This only pen is your pen. Your not-special only pen. You put it in your pocket after signing some forgotten form in an office on some forgotten floor, in some forgotten building on some forgotten street. So many days, weeks, years ago, you couldn't remember it if there was a gun in your mouth. Chewing on this pen, a gun comes to mind. Your pen, this only pen, is a mole you know hasn't always been there. But you can't remember when it wasn't. You find it in the glove box, searching for a fuse. Oh yeah, this pen. In your pocket, tapping against the metal drum of the dryer, competing for attention with a quarter and two pennies. Oh yeah, this pen. Days go by, you lose it, you find it. Weeks go by, you lose it, you find it. Years go by, you lose it, you find it. This more lost and found only pen. You wonder if the pen knows it has been lost or if it ever knows it has been found. This time in the impossibly deep pit between the seat and door of your car, nestled between ages of old french fries, unidentifiable mounds of crumbs, a rubber band, and what you hope is chocolate. The barrel of the gun tastes sweet, with a hint of saltine. It's only two miles from your tiny 12 by 12 studio apartment to work. Three stop signs, one traffic light, a drugstore, a couple of street people, half a cup of coffee, a granola bar, and 11 minutes of wishing you would have finished college. No cigarette this morning. It's day four, and you would probably get on your knees for one at the moment, but you settle for this pen. This only pen. Your teeth fit snug into the plastic, a perfect cast of your molars from days, weeks, years of chewing on it. This only pen is a chew toy. Second stop sign. You chew harder, gazing at a smoker on the corner. Third stop sign. You can taste the ink as you bite through the tube, the sweet smell of smoke coming from the patio of a coffee shop. It stains your tongue and lips, so you swallow it. A line worker inserts the inflation device for the airbag before sending it on to the next guy. Another job well done. At the traffic light, you stop behind someone buried deep into the screen of their phone. The light turns green, and still they stare at Bookface, at Twitter, at Instafame, posting about how inconvenient some drivers can be always on their phone. The guy behind you is doing the same. You ease forward to close the gap. Maybe they will notice. At an impact of just 10 miles per hour, an airbag can be triggered to deploy. At 15, it's guaranteed. Another job well done. Without looking up, the guy behind you hits the gas, seeing your movement forward and a green light. 
The impact was enough to finish closing the gap between your front bumper and the face-buried, social network-addicted asshole still stopped at the green light. Everything slows to a stop, and you think about the sweet taste of the gun barrel. You think about the taste of blue metallic ink and plastic. You think about having left the bathroom light on. You think about the airbag installer and of a job well done. You think about the warning to risk of low-impact deployment. You think about how fucking bad you want a cigarette right now. With the force of the airbag, this only pen, this more lost than found only pen, this gun barrel is transformed. And now it isn't just an only pen. It's the one in a hundred million chance of being killed by a pen in your car on your way to work at 8.23 a.m. You think of how lung cancer would have taken longer. the nightmares. It wasn't the girl this time. It was a goddamn pen. Shit. <sighs> That's the last time I smoked before going to sleep. Shit. That was bad. I'm in a cold sweat. voice in the recording, the violin playing, probably a good guess that they were the same person, and the voice, familiar, a little hard to hear in the recording, can't be sure, but it sounded like the good reverend, Jonathan Hicks, he was the leader of the Church of the One, Father Unity, they sometimes called him. If she was recruited by him, then... Well, she didn't end up on the website yet. The Reverend's wives always ended up paraded about on there. Sisters of Unity. Some of them managed to get out, but... It was always a pain in the ass. Everything about this cult is a pain in the ass. Almost 2,000 people are reported missing every day. And I'd say there's a good percent of them that joined these people. And their folks don't have the money like Sam's do to find them. American dream includes the freedom of religion. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Until the Lord holds you captive against your will, but... You don't see that on a unity slogan. You don't see it at all, until it's too late. 
Smoking didn't help. Might as well have a drink. <sighs> I'm so tired. I have to call Sam's parents by lunchtime and let them know what I've found out. Which isn't much. But I have one more lead to see in the morning. I really need some answers. I should probably pour myself another. That's better. Just let my noggin soak this up and let me get some sleep. Or at least forget everything for a little while. Men, women, kids. All swept up by the Reverend and his thugs. Have you become one with us? <laughs> no. And I'll tear as many away from you as possible, you bastards. Every time I have to talk with the parents of these people, it ruins me. I feel a new crease in my forehead. I feel a tightening in my heart. Am I a religious man? I don't know. But I know who isn't. I'm not a superhero. I can't stop them, but... I can... Do my part. And, uh... Maybe... Maybe that's enough. Facing another door. I'm in the hallway again. The walls have changed. There are doors all over the place now, and one directly in front of me. I don't like this place. It's quiet. It smells like static. I don't want to go through a door, but I know I have to. It's the only way out. The door in front of me is painted a glossy black, and there's a knocker on it. There's a door number two, like, a, like an address, maybe, but different. Room 616, and it's doing that weird blur thing again. I rub my eyes and I see words, a lot of them. They don't eat the living. What the, what the hell? What is wrong with this place? The door is opening. I didn't even touch it. 
I can feel something grab hold of me. There's no one around, but this force, it's powerful. I try to fight it. I try to scream. It's not working. It's pulling me through the door. Son of a bitch! Let me go! Let me... It must be long past time for me to retire. I have attended to many a patient, many a deranged mind within my 25 years of toil as a psychologist. Sweet Lord, help me, I thought as I stared at the photos from the crime scene. I was experiencing great difficulty believing the events as they had been told to me. I simply cannot divulge the details of the wretched pictures within this transcription but I have attached them within the file. Beware looking upon them that you haven't eaten for some time. I had spent my time working through issues with those plagued in a variety befitting a woman with my degree. It is simple. Listen for the buzzwords that describe their core problem. Are they bipolar? Are they depressed? Is it an addictive personality? And could this come from a physical issue within the brain? Then the solutions. Give them therapy, prescribe medication, perhaps recommend surgery. Maybe the diagnosis is all of the above. Simple, cut and dry answers, and I'm home for dinner by seven. But then there was this boy. According to his records, he was eight years of age. Just eight years. I dare say there was little about him different from an average eight-year-old. He was slight of build and had very normal, short brown hair. There was no evidence of abuse or neglect. By all rights, he was very well taken care of. When we talked, his preferred subjects were his favorite television programs, a friend at school, and his playtime in the backyard. I had observed his playtime, his artwork. It rarely ever denoted the level of psychosis he clearly suffered from. And there were times when his eyes were as cold as a January night, a bleak black and filled with hopelessness. He'd been to five different doctors in as many months. None of them could solve his quandary, and so it had fallen to me. My time with him had been brief, little more than two weeks. However, it was to be I that should decide this young, this very young, man's fate. The police had done their best to find someone else to blame for this heinous act, and the boy had been extremely silent when asked about it directly. He'd admitted to nothing, simply hadn't spoken of it for any reason. He sat across from me as I wrote this, Silently, just staring off into space. I was observing him, hoping to find a hint or a whisper 
of what the cause of his condition might have been. His mother told it simply, about six months ago, something just seemed off. At first, she thought him playing with toys when she would hear him whisper, or he would quietly giggle. When she would ask him what he was laughing about, he would glare at her. He would walk away and close himself into the bedroom. It chilled her to the bone, those looks. She tried everything that she could think of to bring him around. Playdates with friends didn't work out very well. It's not that anything untoward happened, simply that he would wander off by himself. By her account, he continued to grow very distant to everyone around him as the days wore on. She once told me, if he had ever had even an outburst or thrown some sort of fit, perhaps I could have seen something coming. It took less than a month from when she started to notice the changes for the event in question to take place. When I questioned if there was any evidence of abuse from the boy's victim, his father, the very idea was met with regard as ludicrous as an airborne pig. I had examined the case in length, done countless hours of research to find some sort of clue, anything that could point to the reason. However, without his account of the night, I was utterly at a loss. Yes, I should have just retired. For as frustrating as not knowing the cause of the boy's illness, I feared that learning the cause very well may have been worse. Worse or not, it was my responsibility. There was no question that I must draw a conclusion. I must hand down a judgment. I had only a short time left before our session concluded. I needed to decide quickly. But would the weight of such a decision have been too much for my soul to bear? To have condemned a child, no matter how heinous the act he'd committed? Was this something I could live with? Only too late did I discover the reason for the failure to diagnose thus far. While the facts were simple, the existential weight that one would carry was beyond comprehension. How does a fulfilling career come to this? I was doomed to become the woman who struck this boy's future from the annals of any form of history, save the label of ill. My evaluations so far yielded nothing more than the life and mind of a healthy child. And yet my experience, my instinct gained through countless instances of seemingly healthy people who were so very sick, was equivalent to the voice in the back of one's head. And the voice was telling me then that the boy was not well. My own mental state, my conscience needed to be placed aside. The police wouldn't do it. The other doctors couldn't gather the courage. Instead of asking him if he took his father's life, I asked him why. I feared this was the instance in which I would be driven over the edge and fall victim to the very illness that I had spent my life battling against for others and I let it take full grip to steel myself for what I felt I must do. I rose from my seat, my heart pounding at the cadence of a war drum. My palms were slick with the sickening knowledge of what was to come. The image of this killer's victim was burned into my retinas, and I began to scream. Accusations, and I cussed. 
all of the boundaries that I would normally have observed in regard for a more calm science were damned. And in that moment, I was truth. Yes, I was the light shed upon the darkness, the reason to untamed madness. I would garner his confession. I would bring about justice, no matter the personal cost. But despite my best and worst efforts, he was unaffected. The boy just sat and stared at me, his expression as blank and reserved as the most trained spy one could imagine. I'd screamed so loudly and so forcefully that my ears were ringing and my face was purpled with rage and conviction. And he was silent. His eyes, they were large and full of wonder. He was studying me, absorbing my transformation from friend to accuser. And he was looking beyond my form, past me, to the window. It was only then that I heard the tapping, a gentle sort of rapping at the window pane, drawing in repeated haggard breaths, sweat cascading down my face. I turned. Our spectators were in the form of large black birds, too numerous for me to count at that present moment, and they were all calling to him. I was arrested all at once with the notion that they were there for him and with him. The silence in the room for a brief moment was as deafening as the screaming I had produced just seconds before and was subsequently broken by his voice, which may as well have been a peal of thunder. I had to kill him, the boy said. As I gazed upon his expression, I found none. He was speaking the fact, plainly as the night sky is black. He sealed his fate and my own with one sentence. They don't eat the living. The Grave Room's Season 2 preseason episodes are the first in our newest installment of creepy, scary, and terrifying new stories we have to come. You got to hear a little from our new main story, and a little taste of our excellent lineup from exceptionally talented authors. The stories you heard tonight are the Jake Stone series, which was written by Brian Black, and it's starring Mark Witten as Jake Stone, Sarah Thomas as Samantha Winters, and David Cummings as the Reverend John Hicks. The other story was Penn, written by Mike Lee, and it was performed by Graham Rowett. Then another story, They Don't Eat the Living, written by Jeremy Schaefer, and it was performed by Sarah Thomas and Jason Wilson Jr. All musical composition was by J.M. Scherf, the master he is. Artwork was by Brooks Bigley and Graham Rowett. Audio engineering and sound design was by me, Jason Wilson. And I want to give a big thank you to the exceptionally talented Cassie Bertit. 
with the task of artwork, webmaster, logistics, keeping us all together. And Well, yeah, she is just flipping awesome. Thanks, Cassie. We really appreciate your patience. We will have another preseason episode coming soon, followed by our season opener. So please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Discord, as well as stop on over to our Patreon for great incentives and to help keep the show running. But thank you again, and we will see you very soon.